the reason why I'm uh, dragging with me my chair is because we are about to kick off our healthcare disruption panel. Um, and I think magically the chairs should uh, uh, come on stage. So you will meet again uh, Jeff, from whom you heard before, uh, but also Murray. Um, and as the old gain uh, uh, stage, I will introduce also uh, David Orban, please join us. David is a faculty member of the Singularity University and Chief Innovation Officer at DotSub. Please, David, Jeff and Murray, I'll take this. Then I'm pleased to welcome uh, Paul Tuna. Paul is the CEO of Pharma Forum, um, comes from the UK. Paul is uh, one of the stick your set, uh, is one of the most expert uh, person around dealing with uh, pharmaceutical companies, uh, embracing digital, social media, and he will give us a lot of insights on that area. And last but not least, uh, a friend, Mark Zlugis. Please, Mark, get on stage. Mark is uh, a pioneer of digital health landscape in, uh, in particularly in Europe. He has uh, a vast experience starting from technology all the way up to uh, digital health, and he will tell us uh, a lot about what's going on uh, in this field right now. And unfortunately, we had uh, a, a, an issue with uh, flight connections uh, about our friend Min Sung from Excel Health, but I'm, I'm sure you will hear more from him because he will be with us at the next edition that we uh, anticipated this morning. Um, so, this is not prepared. They have no idea what I'll be, <laughs> I'll be asking, and neither I know, but we'll, we'll get to the flow and, and, and we will have a dialogue about, uh, about what's basically uh, going on. So, I would probably, uh, there's a player that has been relatively less mentioned in our conversation, uh, uh, which is the, the, the pharmaceutical industry. We touched here and there, but we haven't you know, uh, talked that much about that. And that is for no disrespect. We have a lot of friends from pharmaceutical companies here in the room. Um, and pharmaceutical companies, we should know, have played a great role in innovation in history because of vaccinations, uh, a lot of new drugs, they all come from the R&D that pharmaceutical companies brought into, into the market. So we are eager to see pharmaceutical companies embracing digital health, but as in, in new ways, probably, because this is all new. So let's talk a little bit about this. So, Paul, what's your take uh, about pharmaceutical companies embracing innovation, uh, you know, your experience with social engagement, I think it's very valuable. Thank you. Thank you, Roberto, and uh, thanks for the invite. Sorry to miss the first nine years of this event. It's, uh, it's been good. <laughs> um, we've seen a few strands coming together, I think, over the course of today and yesterday, which is looking at digital and technology in terms of enhancing existing products, developing new things, and I think another common theme there has been you have to be close to the consumer. You know, Murray was talking about the volume of apps that are out there, the low levels of usage, the need to engage more with the HCPs in that process, but also I'd say the patient. And I think the pharma industry, if it's going to really take on seriously digital health, has to get closer to the patient. It has to co-create with the patient. And I think what Jeff presented was a really good example 
of something by a patient for patients and therefore it works. And that for me is where social and digital engagement also plays a key role in pharma, not in developing stuff or enhancing products, but in facilitating that more ongoing engagement, which is critical and underpins those two things when it comes to patients. Thank you. I, I think that one of the most interesting aspects right now about how uh, these companies are, for example, embracing social comes, for example, on clinical trials and also data-driven aspect that, that, that comes with it. Uh, what's your angle on that? So you're right. There's been a lot of focus on clinical trials and a big focus on clinical trial recruitment, particularly when it comes to social media and digital content. And clearly that's a pain point for the industry. It's a costly area. It works where you do the right things. But that needs to shift downstream as well. It needs to shift downstream in terms of beyond the pill-supportive commercial stuff and it also needs to go beyond, in my view, clinical trial recruitment into clinical trial co-design. And that is starting to happen because ultimately we all know a clinical trial is designed for, by definition, a clinical environment. And we're trying to predict how that's going to translate to the real world. Patients live in the real world every day. So their input at every stage is absolutely vital. Great. So it's probably right to say that social is one of the first things that are bringing patients really at the center of certain processes. Absolutely. Social is where patients spend their time. Fantastic. So, uh, uh, David, uh, uh, some people call you a futurist. Uh, I don't know if you like that. Uh, the, the, uh, certainly you are focusing on the exponential progression of technology and, and uh, how that, uh, what that brings to us and how that impacts on several uh, verticals. And, and you have a uh, uh, healthcare uh, uh, experience and, and, and you have been uh, dealing, uh, dealing with that. So from a, from a leap into the future uh, perspective, things like uh, research, but maybe also uh, delivery of care, what, what do you see uh, that will be really radically different looking into the future? Um, I had a very interesting experience just a few days ago. There was the screening of a 2012 documentary called The Singularity at one of uh, the universities here in uh, Milan where I was invited to present my book as well. And at uh, it, it, the interviews of that documentary were talking about how certain things are easy for computers uh, but hard for humans like playing chess but there are other things that are really hard for computers, even if they are so intuitive and easy for humans, like recognizing images, distinguishing between a cat and a dog, and things like that. Now, the reason why that was amazing is that that was, three years ago, a cutting-edge documentary about these technologies. And today, Google and Facebook... And basically everybody else, because just a few days ago, these uh, algorithms and approaches and APIs have been released for any developer to use, are leveraging artificial intelligence algorithms that deliver superhuman image recognition capabilities. There are standardized million image test suites on which humans perform at a given degree, and today computers perform better. So imagine when apps in anybody's hands are going to be able to recognize uh, images of potentially uh, life-threatening conditions as they develop, before they become uh, a problem. And we will be able to really uh, understand how our health dynamically develops through the helps 
through the help of these amazing new assistants. And the, the reason why this is so interesting is because, of course, if even those who are at the heart of this transformation, the filmmakers, the researchers who have been interviewed, in a, merely, in, in a span of a mere two, three years, are behind the curve, well, that makes it even harder for those who are not futurists, whether called by themselves by third parties, but they are doctors and patients to keep up with the rate of uh, technological change. And that is why um, initiatives like uh, Vidium, for example, the, the website that those of you who were at the uh, startup event uh, yesterday evening so presented are so important because they are about educating everybody. They are about teaching and learning about cutting edge information about health. Is it probably right to say that with the consumer technology and electronics and, and, and availability of digital, everyone is almost a maker of their own health because you can really start to figure out about data aggregates and we have seen a, a beautiful example, uh, uh, greatly thought but also executed uh, in the Jeff demo, Jeff demo before. So, uh, uh, Mark, you, you're you know a, a, a big expert in, in in what we call digital health, and there's a big debate: should be this health tech, digital health, what? Uh, but it's really about in, a, in transforming, disrupting healthcare through digital technologies. This whole field is not that old. We should say it's probably we can date back uh, 2010, 2011-ish in in the states that has been growing and, 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 and is moving to Europe. So the question for you to start is where are you in Europe with this uh, in terms of funding, in terms of startups? How is the landscape uh, uh, to, to begin with? Um, well, I, I can't give you any numbers on this. Uh, it, it's obvious that the, uh, the, the flow of venture money into digital health in the U.S. Uh, is, is vastly bigger than uh, than the flow of money in Europe. Uh, however, uh, having looked at uh, more than 1,200 companies over the last five um, five months in this space, I can tell you that there's there's a huge amount of, uh, of tremendously in, in interesting technologies and companies and teams in Europe that that are creating great solutions. Um, now that being said, I do see a couple of a couple of challenges. Um, <coughs> And I think maybe a bit of background. So I've been working with the pharma industry for the last 20 years. Um, some interesting parallels with IMS Health as well in the past, with Accenture, with Oracle. I've also been to uh, Singularity University, FutureMed, a brilliant program. Um, so I've worked a lot with the pharma industry. I think it's very difficult for a pharmaceutical company to, uh, to adopt these solutions at the scale where these companies currently are. Um, so I'm currently working on a project with a large uh, growth investor with a thesis that the, the big opportunity in the market now is really to try to put some of the pieces of the puzzle together and build it into more comprehensive solutions that will then also be much easier to adopt by large healthcare providers as well as by the, uh, by the pharmaceutical industry. 
Um, so I think there, there's, an, there's an element of potentially consolidation or M&A, however you want to call it. Uh, I think the second uh, thing is to give these companies more financial stability, which will also make it easier to, for them to deal with, with large uh, c- counterparts. And the third very important angle, which uh, Murray hinted at as well, is to produce much more clinical evidence about the, uh, the efficacy of the solution as well as uh, clearly articulate and demonstrate the, the cost-effectiveness, which uh, I think is you know, not unlikely to be vastly superior. And that brings me to, to my next point, if you allow me. Um, I, I'm fascinated by the whole concept of, uh, of, of digiceuticals or digital therapy, if you want. I think Sanofi coined the term uh, digiceuticals. And it's interesting to see that Sanofi publicly says that they have a team working on finding solutions that can treat people with other in other ways than than probably prescribing them a pill so i think this is a an interesting sign on the wall for pharmaceutical companies that uh if you don't actively start working on these types of things someone else will do it uh and your market might just disappear overnight uh now it might not be overnight given the normal pace of pharma but uh, just to close my uh, my lengthy story, uh, two recent very interesting developments, I think, uh, which sort of hint at the equation. You take a generic product in a certain therapeutic area, you wrap a digital solution and service around it, and the sum of those two will be much bigger than you know any branded product in the therapeutic area. And uh, t- I think two recent examples are, uh, you know, what Otsuka is doing with Abilify and, uh, and Proteus, the, uh, the chip you can put in the pill to make sure that people take it, um, where basically Abilify is becoming a generic now and Otsuka definitely uh, sees the opportunity to add much more value to that product. I think the second one is uh, Teva recently buying one of the connected uh, Inhaler devices, uh, which again hints at, uh, you know, the innovativeness of Teva, but also that, you know, they clearly see the opportunity to add much more value and potentially make a generic more valuable in the market than, uh, than branded drugs. Thank you. I mean, as you can see, there's uh, already some creativity that is starting to, to pop up. There are different ways to transform and, and, and there will be different angles that we'll be seeing. These were potentially sort of incremental innovations by taking a piece of something that is getting old by definition and something that is kind of completely new, connecting it and see uh, what, apps, what happens at the intersection of those, which is great. It's a, it's a, it's a, great, way, it's a great way to do it, to, to, to get your hands dirty. So, uh, Jeff, in your, in, in your concept, you basically started with uh, a mashup, if, I, if you allow me, of pieces of technology that we are very used to, right? Taking pictures with the smartphone was breakthrough innovation a few years ago alone, but now it's pretty consolidated. I don't think there's any smartphone without a camera, I think. And the social tagging and, and a few pieces of that. But if you take one by one, uh, they don't make that an impact. When, they, when you basically cook them together and, and, and you create what you created, it is where the magic happens. And that's a different path to innovation. So what's your perspective about coming up with these disruptive ideas, maybe starting from the digital tools that are kind of consolidated in, and that have been consolidating in the past 10 years? It's an interesting point. 
you know, we decided to focus not on any technical breakthrough or medical breakthrough, but on behavioral change. And behavioral change is something that, you know, is hard, hard to implement. And so we decided to take things that people were already using. You already have a strong compute power in your phone. You already have a camera. You already have map making. You already have social connectivity. You're already connected with your peers already. It's built in. And so why not harness the power of the thing that every single one of you is carrying around, every single one of you upgrade every single year, and apply that to the behavioral change problems around mindfulness, motivation, and empowerment to drive change. And it's that sort of underpinning that rooted the user experience design that we crafted with OneDrop. Thank you. I mean, as you can see, there is a lot that can be done in healthcare just kind of using what we have, which is kind of typical. We have... Uh, uh, amazing technologies available, but the application of the technology to the real problems that matter, the relevance of this, there's a long way to go there. So there's a lot of space for innovation without creating, you know, like you, or having huge investments or very complex research uh, uh, projects. Uh, however, there are also some breakthroughs sometimes needed in order to make something that actually works. So, uh, Murray, uh, you talked a little bit about validation. Um, w would we in the future or right now validate a digital health therapy or, 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 or I should say a tool in the same way that we have been validating drugs or devices uh, or do you see new paths uh, uh, about that validation process? So, so I think we need some new paths. Um, we have a, a system well established by the, the regulator agency, and whether it be in Europe or the U.S. or, or other countries, um, that is applied for, for drugs. It's typically applied a little differently for devices, for, for medical devices. Um, but I think we need a, a, a slightly more sort of flexible uh, system here because the, the, the pace of the technology is so fast that, that we're all going to get bogged down by some multi-year uh, kind of effort. At the same time, we need some rigor in being able to evaluate these innovations. Um, and I think perhaps exactly what's required depends a little bit on uh, who the patient cohort is, what the nature of the disease is, what the nature of the technology solution is. Um, observational trials uh, certainly have uh, a lot of uh, value um, in that. Um, it, but in some cases, you know, Fully randomized uh, trials would be would be needed. Again, I think it depends on the, uh, the, the 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 nature of the application and and its um, its importance. And at some point, of course, the FDA already, and I'm sure the EMA as well, is getting involved to the extent that they consider an app um, a, a device. But that that that's a, a relatively small part of the of the market. So I, I think we've got to work, frankly, together with the payers. What sort of evidence do they need? Uh, the providers, the physicians, what do they need to feel comfortable with? Um, and, and, and come up, actually, with a, with a, uh, a practical way uh, forward. Great. Uh, David, when, when, when it comes to the um, kind of the research and development process, right? Uh, pharmaceutical uh, uh, industries and drugs uh, uh, generally have been following a, a pretty consolidated path, you know? So find an active compound, 
uh, find that that's relevant, go through the clinical trials up to you know the the, the go to market. There's a lot of there's a lot of talk and also some guys doing this, which are saying why don't we start from the end? So we collect a bunch of data and we kind of go backwards to see if there is anything that is active that is causing those kind of discrepancy in data. So uh, what's the, the, the state of the art with that? What's the potential with that, with, with that kind of research? Um, we are surrounded by more and more sensors that uh, aggregate data around what we do, both from a behavior point of view as well as um, our own voluntary contribution to what we eat, how we move, uh, uh, what is going on in our lives. And being able to aggregate and analyze the data is going to be a huge advance in uh, being able and uh, uh, make very uh, interesting new discoveries around uh, correlations that will be meaningful. Uh, on, uh, on top of that, uh, empowering individuals to participate more proactively in managing their, their lives, keeping themselves healthy, is going to be the real frontier um, even in the absence of uh, a conclimated uh, illness, uh, it is going to uh, dramatically reduce costs in any uh, economy. Uh, there is no country that can afford the progressive increase of healthcare costs, uh, starting with the with the U.S. Uh, so, uh, crowdsourcing health is going to be a frontier of this. And uh, uh, the more educated people are about this, but also the, the, the more transparent, the more inclusive, uh, the more enjoyable the process is, um, it, it's, it's going to be a, a way of the future, really. And um, a lot of people are talking about, especially in my circles, uh, not only of uh, extending lives uh, by a handful of years, but radical extension of lifespans. And that is only going to be possible if our healthy uh, life spans are going to be extended Otherwise as well. Otherwise, not worth it. We, we don't want to be a 150-year-old cripple that lived uh, 60 years of his or her life uh, as, as, a, as a vegetable or, or almost. We want to be healthy uh, and live long, uh, uh, wonderful lives in order to enjoy and experience uh, what, what can be done. Um, uh, an additional role in this is going to be uh, uh, that of communities because I believe that uh, from centralizing and hierarchical structures that we have been building very successfully for the past few hundred years, now there are so many technologies coming together that are going in the opposite direction, decentralizing and empowering resilient communities that locally support uh, dynamics and behaviors that are uh, going in a positive, healthy direction. Great. No, that's, that's a great point. Uh, Jeff, uh, I'm, I'm sure you already are looking into the aggregation of the data that, that, that your users are, are, are collecting. Have you already spotted uh, some trends uh, that are maybe confirming? I know the answer is yes, so we want to know something more, what, what you are finding in the aggregation <laughs> of the data that you are collecting through the app. So the answer is yes. Uh, that's really what at the at the heart of everything that we're doing at OneDrop is is big data analytics on the back end, and you've got to create an enjoyable experience for people to give you their data, um, and then you need to give them something in return, which is actionable insights. And so, 
you know, we've collected over a million four hundred thousand user contributed data points in six months. Um, over 250,000 user sessions, averaging you know a little over a minute and a half a piece, and with that kind of engagement in the app um, and in the in the ecosystem, you know we're we're absolutely making interesting correlations. Not about not only about you know what people are doing, but how uh, groups of people are behaving, uh, what kind of choices they make when they're in certain situations. For instance, what kinds of foods they eat when they're at home versus when they're out. And um, there's a whole bunch of, of, of interesting data that's, that's underpinning all of that. We're only now getting at the heart of what I think is a useful data set. So right now, with a million, you know, 400,000 points, uh, we're starting to dig into the correlations and some causality between certain aspects of people's lives individually and then on aggregate as a, as a population. Great. So there will be interesting news coming out of that because, to my knowledge, is the first data set that will allow us to kind of open, you know, literally like a window of any kind of a hidden world, which is kind of the day-by-day uh, therapeutic experience, which honestly is the most important thing because it's what, as Jeff said in his talk, you live with every, every single day. And chronicity is really the challenge because with chronicity, you get steady high costs and the more we age, the more the chronicity will keep going. The more we find remedies, acute care becomes chronic care because we found new discoveries. And so in a way, we solve a problem, we create another problem of sustainability. Data, engagement, design, technologies will probably be the medicine for this disease, which is the cost of and the unsustainability of the, of the healthcare system. Um, uh, Mario, I'm curious to ask you if you, in the, your database, you, you, you have seen something already about like the adoption curve. I was astonished that uh, uh, some time ago, uh, I, I think it will be probably, it was a couple of years ago, the mortality of the apps were mm -hmm. staggering. Like, mm -hmm. People were downloading using once and then, uh, uh, but like uh, seven hour or eight, uh, not using <coughs> a, a, a second time. So, are, uh, analyzing your, your your data set on the uh, B2C side, have you seen a, a, an improving trend in that? So we are. So I showed you some of the uh, the early data that we're gathering from having this curated um, uh, set of apps in the hands of of healthcare professionals. We call AppScript, um, and that enables us to to look at that um, uh, the, the usage over time. Uh, and again, it's a little hard to know what we're comparing with because there hasn't been a lot of data, except somewhat anecdotal, about that. Uh, but we're very encouraged, and I think I think you know this is uh, this is going to be a, a virtuous circle that takes many turns, uh, particularly when we're talking about the uh, the apps that are a part of a healthcare interaction with with a healthcare professional, uh, which is sort of where where we're focusing our our attention. Um, but I think the evidence is very promising uh, to date in terms of uh, uh, extending that. Of course, what's what's more interesting is to see the health outcomes and and to measure uh, what difference uh, this is making to those uh, to those patients and to feed that back to the healthcare professionals so they can see it as well. I, I think outcomes will be definitely very interesting, but I think it's also important what, what, what Jeff mentioned about the engagement. Yes. If you have these all wonderful tools, but those are not engaging, you're not sure. you don't stick sure. to them. Uh, you you really miss the the the, the, the long term promise. So on that note, anecdotally, one-drop users have lower aggregate A1C levels, lower blood sugars than the general diabetes population. And again, that's anecdotal evidence. Uh, it's not clinical, and I don't want to make any claims. But what we're seeing is tremendous engagement, which is yeah. driving an interest 
in focusing on living life healthier, and the outcomes are starting to appear. Now, this guy here told me this at lunch some time ago, so we must have engaged him enough to say this. He doesn't want to make a claim because there's no evidence, <laughs> but the result is already there. We'll have to be tested uh, prospectively, prospectively, but it, it uh, uh, is there. Uh, uh, so before we, we go for the last round and, and we wrap up, uh, I'm very interested in the startups are really rocking all of this. Uh, all breakthrough innovations are coming f- from the startup world. That's why it's so important. And... Because, you know, uh, uh, someone yesterday evening at, at the startup night said uh, they, don't, they will not ask permission to disrupt your, your market or your business. They will just go and do it. Maybe they will fail. We know they will fail 90% of them, probably even more. But those that will make it will make it full stop, and then you will have to live with that. So I think it's very important to spend a few more words about how this, uh, uh, this landscape is unfolding and evolving in, in, in our region, in Europe. Uh, so, uh, Paul, uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a general path in, in digital technology we have seen in the years. You know, U.S. first, U.K. some time, you know, at some point, and then, you know, percolating to continental Europe. And on the other hand, we have also seen, of course, you know, the Far East that has come with their, their own path. But let's focus for the moment on the path U.S., U.K., continental Europe. Um, we heard uh, uh, Roberta before talking about fintech being like, you know, London homeland of fintech because of different factors. Uh, you know, uh, we meet in London pretty frequently, and I haven't seen in London this kind of, you know, digital health hub. And I'm still failing to find a hub about digital. There are a lot of great hotspots. So what's going on in the UK? Why is not the home of digital health? I'd probably take a slightly more optimistic view, but uh, I agree it's probably lagging behind a little bit. And I think it, for me, it comes down to the point I made before about patient engagement, co-creation. And you touched on this before. So the pharma industry has come from this regulated background. We can't promote to patients. Note I say promote to patients, not we can't talk to patients, because you can. And they are two very different things. And they are two very different things. But there is therefore this, this heritage of nervousness around engaging with patients for fear of being seen to promote or pick up adverse events and all that kind of stuff. And I think there's this sort of sense of waiting for the regulators, the FDA, the EMA, to say, this is okay, go and do that. Well, regulators in any industry don't operate that way. They don't step in proactively and say, you can do this. They step in afterwards and say, please don't do that. And so the tech companies are taking exactly that line. They've not come with that heritage You know, a good example is in the US 23andMe with their diagnostics, which has now been approved by the FDA but was knocked back initially. They're just going to go for it. So the pharma companies need to start pushing and getting over that. And I think the UK in particular, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but it's seen as a particularly tough environment from a regulatory perspective because of the ABPI, and that creates nervousness around this kind of engagement. So that, that perception of risk, I think coupled with perhaps still trying to work out what the benefit is of this co-creation and the rewards of patient engagement is slowing things down. But a big driving factor is going to be the tech companies that don't care about that because they're moving and pharma is starting to that. Great. Uh, Mark, so if you, if you would have to you know, create like a, uh, a, a recipe, you know, a prescription for uh, us in Europe collectively to really embrace this change and let this digital health movement and thrive from a startup perspective, from a funding perspective maybe, which would be your 
the ideal scenario? What would you hope that will change, enable? Because maybe people here, uh, some of them, I'm sure, can influence. Collectively, all of us can influence if we have like a, you know, a little bit of a path to follow in terms of moving this on. Sure. Um, well, I can actually take the three points that uh, that I just wrote down during the excellent workshop where we were asked sort of the same thing. Um, and let me start on the investor side. Uh, I mean, I've been quite involved with a number of venture investor uh, events in Europe for the last couple of years. You've been... Uh, you've been participating in one as well uh, last year in Switzerland. Um, and it's my observation that still the majority of the European VCs do not yet really get digital health, unfortunately. Um, so I think there's still uh, quite a bit of education to, to be done there. Uh, so that they become more willing to uh, to invest in more digital health companies and to invest bigger amounts uh, in digital health companies. I think in Europe we see uh, there, there's there's a relative abundance of seed capital in very early stage, but then companies need to scale and grow, and it's there where where things uh, things are still still missing. So that's that's the first uh, thing. I think the second thing, um, moving to the to the entrepreneurs, um, uh, my my recommendation would be, guys, think think big enough, right? Uh, I've I've been going through hundreds and hundreds of, of pitch decks, and sometimes I think, you know, the technology is brilliant, the team is uh, the team looks looks stellar, but you only ask for you know uh, one million to. To build a proof of concept, and maybe in two years' time you're going to the next country. It's uh, th there needs to be, uh, I think, a sense of urgency that's that's a bit more developed, so that things move move quicker, and that you uh, you actually build it out uh, quicker. Now, I haven't figured out the chicken and the egg story. Whether it's you know because the investors are so bearish that the entrepreneurs don't get the money, so the entrepreneurs then sort of adapt the story to the investors, or if it's the other way around. But I, I think we need to we need to break through that. Um, and I think the third area is uh, you know coming back to my my favorite high horse, the pharma industry. I say, come on guys, it's time to. Get serious and and do things at scale here, um, and and that then will again accelerate the the startup ecosystem because uh, in my opinion pharma will become both a, a key client as well as potentially a key acquirer for these technologies. So as soon as that momentum starts rolling, the valuations of companies in this space will 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 shoot up as well, and there will be a lot more uh, more positive momentum. So that's my my short take. Great, it's great great recipe. So before we wrap up, I'll ask you one quick thing, and I would like to uh, uh, get an answer in a, in a, in a tweet, okay? We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try this. So the first to go will be Paul, because he's holding the mic, so ready, ready to rock. Uh, tell me, and that will be the same for everyone, what's your, uh, what you want to see uh, in order to say, yes, this transformation has improved health in an holistic way. So we have augmented in a way, you know, in any way, what should be that way, health for all of us. Yeah, I'm not sure about the challenge of 140 characters. That's, that's quite difficult. <laughs> um, short answer is, I think, recognition from everybody working commercially in the health sector, I think particularly the pharmaceutical companies, 
that you are not selling products anymore. You're not selling medicines. You are selling outcomes. That's what systems are paying for. And what's going to deliver is typically not a pill. It might be a mix of a diagnostic, a medicine, a software solution. You need to think with that thought in mind. And I thought it was really interesting listening to David's presentation this morning. That seems to be the way software companies think. Not just launch something, let it go, keep developing, keep looking at outcomes, keep looking at feedback, keep developing that. And that's what everybody needs to focus on. Think about outcomes, not the product. Great. Murray, what about you? What do you want to see? What I want to see is uh, healthcare payers uh, in an audience like this. Uh, I, I think one of, the, one of the big barriers is who is actually going to pay for any, any of this. The patient will pay for some, for sure. Uh, but are we seeing insurers and, and, and in the European countries with a single payer, you know, that gets, uh, that's fairly focused. Um, having them recognize that they can be better stewards of, uh, of the funds that they sit over by embracing, uh, digital health, that will be the big, uh, breakthrough. To get them here though, we need the evidence, we need the uh, everybody else uh, rallying around because they're probably the last ones to get it, but, but that's what I'm looking for. Great. So you want to see access. and Great. Jeff, what would you like to see? Uh, the tweet-worthy version is converting sick care to health care. We talk about this system as a health care system, but it's not a health care system. It's a sick care system. It's taking care of us when we have problems. It's medicating us when we have problems. It's hospitalizing us and taking care of us in the hospital when we have problems. It's seeing us when we have a problem. Outcomes-based focus, in essence, is keeping people out of the hospital, keeping them out of the doctor's office, reducing the amount of medication they take by empowering them with decision support, with diagnostics, with the tools that they're already carrying around each day to make better choices to stay well. So I want to see a health care system truly delivering health and not sick care. Great. Mark, what's your... Okay, I'll give you a tweet. Um, <laughs> track behavior understand behavior and effectively change behavior um, and, and the background being that if you if you look if you take a bigger picture view the biggest chunk of cost in healthcare is related to chronic disease many of these chronic diseases are to a large extent influenced by uh, by behavior uh, and I think we're not yet there we, we, we do not yet have sufficient insight into what a people's person's behavior is. Uh, understand that behavior and then and the reason behind it, and then uh, have the ways to uh, to effectively influence and, and change that behavior, but in a in, in a durable way. So not just a, a two month increase in uh, in adherence, but a, a two year increase in adherence. Uh, I'm I'm convinced that most of the technology we need is here now. It's now a matter of putting it together in a meaningful way. Great. And David, you. Uh, I really want to see people with unbounded ambition. Um, at Singularity University, we say that our mission is to positively impact the lives of over a billion people in less than 10 years by applying exponential technologies. And there are zero barriers to entry 
for those who are ready to break the rules of all systems that are keeping us in cages of thinking that we want to uh, get out of. And, and, and we see that digitization is a means to democratizing access uh, to uh, dematerializing and demonetizing uh, new solutions that are available and must be available to everybody regardless of their geographical location. It doesn't need to be the Silicon Valley. It doesn't need to be London or Europe. It can be Asia, Africa, everywhere where brilliant minds connected through phones, learning and applying their ideas can bring us solutions. Great. So our tweet stream is basically we heard it's access, it's outcome, is prevention rather than care in the stay on target is this ambition to really make a significant change. Uh, it's financial support so that this will be evenly distributed. So at the end of the day, if you track back where we where we started this uh, this this track, is really pretty much about that will that the World Health Organization tells us it's what basically influences our own health. The great promise I think we heard about technology is that this will make better health affordable for everyone by potentially disrupting a lot of the mechanisms that we have and amplifying some that are functioning, but that the ultimate goal is really the human impact on better health for all of us of the technology that will disappear underneath and we'll just, we will just talk health and good health for, for, for as many as possible virtually everyone. I think with this said, uh, we thank you all for your great attention so late in the afternoon, and we will leave the stage and we we'll leave to the co-founder of the conference. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.